Just to be reminded, we are taking a little break this morning uh, and, and future messages. As I said, I'm not sure how far this will go, but uh, from the Gospel of Mark, and we are be looking at the, the aspect of the office of deacon, um, eventually, <laughs> and, uh, and hopefully next week we will start more specifically to address the office of deacon in terms of our message. This morning as I went to prepare this week, I was looking at Matthew 16 again, and I would like to continue and make some other comments on Matthew 16 especially some sort of generic comments about office. Now, eventually the, the gospel or the message will be more focused, especially towards the elder this morning in one sense, but also you should see it as generic to all the offices as well at times, and I think that will be clear in terms of how I use the term as distinction of officers and elders uh, in the message. So hopefully that will be clear. So we will continue with that and we're just on terms of a kind of message about the church and the officers of the church. Then next week we will start to dive in specifically to the aspect of the deacon. So if you turn to Matthew 16 once again, verses 13 through 28, I want to read that whole section this morning. Uh, let's give attention to the holy, infallible, inerrant word of God. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of men. Then Jesus told his disciple, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, 
but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son as man is going, is going to come with the angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, O Lord, for your guidance this morning from the very words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, concerning the church. What a privilege it is as we assemble this morning as thy church. We ask, O Lord, that we would be instructed by Christ in terms of his saying within his word. In Christ's name, amen. So what about Peter's confession and the church? What about Peter's confession and the church? In the message last week, I did not make much of a connection between Peter's confession and Christ's response to that confession. Before we proceed into an understanding of the office of deacon, let me remind you that Matthew 16, 13 through 20 culminates, is the final touch of the first major section of Matthew's gospel. If you've never outlined Matthew's gospel, you may want to take note here. Matthew's opening introductory section is from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 4, verse 16. Then you want to note carefully, in chapter 4, verse 17, Matthew uses a key phrase that he will use to designate the two major sections of Christ's ministry as recorded in this particular gospel. You want to note the phrase there in 417, from that time Jesus began. It's that simple. That same phrase opens the second and final section of his gospel there, as you saw in the text that we read this morning, chapter 16, verse 21. Notice the phrase there, as we said this morning, as we read this morning. From that time, Jesus began. So the two major sections of Matthew's gospel are from chapter 4, verse 17, through chapter 16, verse 20, and then from chapter 16, verse 21, through 28, 20. Now, if you would, if you want to turn back and notice, I want to direct your attention to chapter 4, verse 17. 
And note the whole verse there once again. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The headline of Matthew's first section is Christ preaching the gospel of repentance since the presence of the kingdom has now come into the world. His chosen disciples receive in their lives a steady diet of hearing Christ preach the gospel of repentance as the condition for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Now that the disciples are secluded with Christ, here at Caesarea Philippi, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, Christ raises the question as to what is the response from those whom Christ has preached the gospel of repentance. Specifically, who do men, who do men say the son of man, who do men say the preacher, the son of man is? What do they say about his identity? Don't miss this. Christ's identity is tied immediately to the message preached. True repentance for any person created in God's image must be tied to the true identity of Jesus Christ. Simply stated, true repentance must be tied to the true confession of who the preacher of repentance is. In this case, the person who delivers the message preached. Why? Because Christ is the sole means of entrance into the kingdom of heaven. In him is our residence in the kingdom. Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is the gospel. As Matthew closes the first major section of his gospel, it is not a coincidence that Peter's confession about the true identity of Jesus You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 16 of our text is placed in the context of Christ mentioning the church. As you may already know, Matthew's the only gospel that mentions the term church. 16, 18, and 18, 17. To enter the kingdom of heaven... A person's true confession about the identity of Christ must, as you see in terms of this confession, must come from heaven. 
Indeed, flesh and blood has not revealed this to Peter. That's very clear from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rather, only Christ's Father in heaven has revealed this magnificent truth of confession to Peter. It is this confession revealed from heaven upon the lips of Peter, the Christ, the head, the supreme shepherd, will build his church. He builds his church upon that solid confession that Christ is the Christ of God. And because it is the confession solidified in the heavenly father within the flock of Christ. Peter represents that. The kingdom of Satan cannot, cannot prevail against Christ's church. And what, and, and what does Christ do? To preserve the church in its earthly ministry and journey. He gives Peter the one representing the path of true repentance and confession of the Christ. The keys to what? The keys to what? The kingdom of heaven. To govern over the body of Christ. Christ, the church, and his kingdom. You see, Matthew 16, 19 in our text this morning can be viewed as Christ's direct ordination of Peter as the officer of Christ's church here on earth to oversee and govern the purity of Christ's body in true repentance and confession of Christ. Are you seeing that we have come full circle now from that introductory statement of this whole section in chapter 4, verse 17, to what we see now in chapter 16, verses 16 through 19. Are you making the connection? Our focus is upon the Son of Man, Christ, his own preaching. Yes, preaching, which is the means of presenting the gospel of the kingdom and the church. A message of repentance driving Peter, driving Peter to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, the anointed one to free the sinner from the oppression of sin. As we stated last week, This confession is the condition for entrance into Christ's church, his kingdom. It is the condition of entrance into heaven. When Christ departs in his resurrection and ascension, he 
always mean, remains with his church and his kingdom. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's how Matthew ends his gospel in 2820. How through the how is he going to do this? How is he going to be with the with his people to the end of the age? It is through, and I'm going to carefully say this, please listen. It is through the servant. I want to stress that word. Through the servant authority and oversight of the officers of the church under the direction and application of the Holy Spirit. Christ's kingdom, which has been initiated in his coming, in his person and work, has given to the officers of his church the directive to assure the maintenance of the purity and the holiness of his body, the directive to assure them in terms of that holiness and purity of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth until Jesus Christ comes again. He gives the officers, specifically the ordained elders, the authority to judge what is confessed on earth is a true representation of what is revealed from the Father in heaven about the truth of the gospel found only in his Son. Based on the word of Christ in this particular passage, the supreme authority of the institutional structure, the the supreme ordinary Institutional structure between heaven and earth is Christ's church. If you are a repentant sinner who confesses Christ as your Redeemer, you place yourself under the ultimate authority of Christ and the officers of the visible church. Under Christ's leadership, he has given the office of elder the authority to bind persons in their earthly pilgrimage to heaven. But if one is not living in repentance and faith in Christ, the same office of elder has the responsibility and the authority to loosen to discipline the tie between heaven and earth of those living in disobedience to God's word. Do not miss the language for your own reflection and edification in your own personal walk in Jesus Christ in the text, tying your life to your present communion and fellowship of heaven and earth. Your heavenly Father reveals to each of you the anointed Messiah to unite you 
with your creator to unite you to the kingdom of heaven, to unite you to his glorious body, the church. Yes, the forces of hell are defeated. The ascended Christ will always be the authority of the eternal, of his eternal church. He does throw through the elders, binding and loosing persons in the visible structural institutional church. Now, congregation, as we say this, as we place this before ourselves, now it is imperative to note the nature of the authority which the elders have in the church. In this respect, I wish to direct our attention to the second main section of Matthew's gospel here, specifically verses 16, 24 through 25. But the context of those verses must be carefully noted. Christ has told the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer there specifically referencing his death and his resurrection, verse 21 of chapter 16. Peter takes Christ aside, you note that, and says to him that this should never happen, verse 22. Christ turns and he rebukes Peter strongly, you know the saying, You understand this. You have heard it from your days as a child. Get behind me, Satan. Peter's mind is suddenly not tied to the revelation of the father concerning his son with respect to the mission of the kingdom and church. The central tie between heaven and earth. No, Peter's statement is identified with the gates of hell, which are about to be crushed by the suffering and exalted Christ. In terms of faith that we have been talking about in respect to Hebrews in our evening messages, Peter's lips has moved from being set on heavenly mindedness Verse 16, in terms of his confession, to thing, the things that are of God, he has now turned to being earthly-minded. Verse 22, his focus is on the things of men. What a sudden turnaround. Right in the same context. In this discussion with Peter, there can be no doubt who the head of the church is, who has all authority in heaven and earth. It is Jesus, the Christ. And nothing, nothing must transgress the truth the factuality of the identity of our Savior 
and his sacrificial and saving work in his historical death, resurrection, and ascension, and all the truth from the word of God that goes with the benefits solely given to Christ's people. And Peter's rebuked by Christ. The gospel truth and the full word of Christ in doctrine and life is being defended by Christ himself. And Peter, an ordained elder in Christ's church, along with the other disciples, will be obligated to defend and protect all the truth of God found in the Holy Spirit's God-breathed word. All of it. But as elders, with what type of spirit are they to exercise their authority? Herein we have Christ's comments to his disciples. It's so interesting as you read through this text. Right on the heels of his interaction with Peter about his death and resurrection. The model is found concerning the attitude of the elders, of those who are officers in the church. The attitude is found in the path of Christ to the cross. To the cross. Now keep in mind as we proceed what we just saw from the authority of Christ in his confrontation with Peter. Did we not see strong language, forceful confrontation, no holding back about the gospel and the eternal truth of the gospel? Did we not see this as he confronted Peter and was concerned about him? As officers in the church are pressed at times to follow Christ's lead. We're here, as we see it with Peter, there can be no mistake that they must guard the truth and sanctity of the full orbit of the gospel that begins in Genesis and goes all the way through the book of Revelation. They must guard it with attentive diligence. There can be no compromise. At the same time, the elders must govern Christ's flock with a very strong commitment to the temperament. Let me underline that. The temperament of a servant's heart as seen in our Christ. On this point, Christ is perfectly clear. Every officer, generic now, every officer in Christ's church begins by following Christ in a life of self-denial. 
And every officer follows Christ, following Christ, sees their end as taking up their own cross in order, as Paul says, to share in Christ's sufferings as these officers serve the body of Christ. Verse 24 of our text, and we're black back if you have listened to the evening messages to Ephesians, excuse me, Philippians 3.10. Very important here. Very important. As Christ rebukes Peter, you must see, you must see this as Christ being a servant to Peter. Christ is serving the everlasting status, the eternal status of of Peter's soul. What good is it, Peter, if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Christ's admonishment to Peter is in the servanthood of the gospel. members of the church for those elders and officers who follow such a model in Christ need to also remember that the elders are serving the Lord Jesus Christ to help individuals in terms of the protection of their souls. That's the temperament of the church of Christ. The officers in Christ's church must constantly battle. Oh, it's not an easy battle with their own souls in order to lose their own life for the sake of Christ and his body, the church and his kingdom. At this point, I may know what you are thinking. Are not verses 24 through 27 to be applied to every follower of Christ not just officers in Christ's church. Pastor Bill, Bill, have you not told us that these particular verses are the heart and soul of every believer's view of discipleship in our union with Christ? Are these verses not the key to how Christ defines servanthood and discipleship? Yes, Yes, to all of these questions. But notice the order in the context of the text. Notice the order in the context of the text. In 1613, Matthew mentions that Christ 
is alone with his disciples as the subject of the church is raised. His discussion continues to the disciples in 1621 as he, move, as he is to move towards his ordained destiny to Jerusalem. And then his discussion about discipleship is noted to be directed to the disciples, 1624. In each of these discussions with the disciples, the established order of Christ's church is clearly clearly placed before your eyes. Christ is the head of the church. The disciples represent the ordained officers, and more specifically, the elders in Christ's church are representatives of Christ in the leadership of his church. And it is in union with Christ and the oversight of the officers that the covenant body of Christ's church will live the life of discipleship and servanthood to each other and into the world in the pattern of Christ. Yes, verses 24 through 27 are directed to you personally. But note that it is through the power of Christ and the life of Christ's church. Now it is my hope that what we have just addressed is edifying to your heart as being part of the visible church of Christ. But I want to also close on another encouraging note, tying, hopefully, this together. As Christ is the head of his church, he sends his Holy Spirit to direct and shook and secure the body of Christ into all truth. The church will be established in this world by the continual biding of God's revelation from heaven in the Holy Spirit. God's covenant promise from heaven belongs to each of us, to you, as part of the new covenant church that has no boundaries in the world. Hence, through the preaching of Christ's word, as the gospel has gone to the four corners of the globe, as the Holy Spirit brings in terms of the service of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit brings that covenant fulfillment. How beautiful it is that the children of God will be as many as the sand on the seashore seated at the feast of the Lamb of God. Do you see it? 
as one author I read this week, never thought of it this way. It's the church, you see now that it goes into the world, it has no boundaries. We have no land that we protect. That's the reason the church, in terms of the New Testament, doesn't talk about us having weapons of war, swords and spears. What is our weapon, says the author of Hebrews? The word of God. Because the word of God, the preaching of the word of God has no boundaries. And thus, you, the children of God, are shaped by the spirit, by the full armor of God. The breastplate of faith. On and on. You're in a whole different world than how the world thinks. It's beautiful. Indeed, in covenant, the Lord says to each of us this morning, I will be your God and you will be my people. In Christ, our mediator is the holiness and righteousness that clothes each of us in the presence of his Father. The Spirit of God that applies all the benefits in Christ is the vitality of Christ's presence in each of you. The Spirit seals the relationship between God and Christ's precious body, the church. The Spirit enters the domain of redemptive history to what, says Paul, to what? To guarantee our inheritance in the glory of of heaven, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Christ claims us. He claims you for his inheritance. This church, this congregation, each of you are his precious possession. If you love And put your faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you not live as his precious possession in Christ's church? Will you? Will you not live that way? Let it be shown. Let us be the temples of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we have the tendency to think independently autonomously in our own hearts. 
It is something that can be very tempting in terms of even living in this particular nation. We ask, O God, that we would see who we are in relationship to Christ's church. Let that dominate our hearts and our minds as we continually walk the path of being a pilgrim in this creation. Help us to love the church. Help us to love the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and help us to love one another. Help us to continue to express in ourselves being servants of the living Christ. In Christ's name, amen.